Blog Talk Radio. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Sunday, October the 29th, and welcome to a very special uh, broadcast uh, tonight. We're going to talk a little baseball, of course. Sunday is the off day in the World Series. The the series is going back to, uh, or going to Arizona after the first two games in Texas, and as I'm sure you know, the series is tied up 1-1 at the moment. Uh, The Rangers won on Friday night, and the D-backs one on on Saturday night. One of the amazing things about this World Series is, of course, the play of uh, Cuban outfielder Mr. Garcia, also known around here as El Bombi, Arolis Garcia, who is, besides being a great baseball player, he's quite a story. Uh, He's about 30 years old. He left Cuba, defected, went to Japan, tried to get into the into the major leagues. He was originally in the Cardinals system. At the end of the 2019 season, the Cardinals basically designated him for assignment, uh, which means you you don't have a job anymore. And then you could sign with whoever signs you. The Rangers signed him, and they brought him up in 2020. Of course, 2020 was uh, the year of COVID, and that particular season was cut short to 60 games. Uh, El Bombi did get into some uh, games that year, but, uh, you know, not that much. It wasn't really until 2022 that he began to leave his mark around here as a power hitter. And, of course, this year he's had an even more amazing season with 39 home runs. But it's his work in the postseason that has made him the, the talk of baseball, the timely home runs, and just be in the middle of everything as they say here with the Rangers. So El Bombi. So tonight we're going to remember some Cuban players of the past. Now, one of the characteristics of Cuban baseball, of course, is that many of the players who came up in the 30s and the 40s were black, were black Cubans. So they couldn't play in the major leagues. Now, many of them did play in the Negro leagues that existed at the time. And also many of them actually played in Mexico, where they had a pretty competitive summer and winter league. So we got together a few years ago with our friend uh, Enrique Hubbard. Enrique was living in Dallas at the time. He was uh, working in the diplomatic service for his country of Mexico. And he, he was in the Dallas area. We got to know him personally. And one day we actually had a conversation talking about some of these great Cuban players who had played in the in the, in the Mexican League. Uh, also joining us, by the way, in this conversation were a couple of, of friends uh, from New York. Uh, we like to call them the Reyes brothers, who uh, joined us a little bit to talk about, about Cuban baseball. So we're going to take a little break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking a lot of baseball, and especially Cuban players 
in the Mexican League over the years. that uh, really characterized Mexican baseball during the during the the 1940s and the 1950s is that many black Cubans who couldn't come to the United States did have the opportunity uh, to play in Mexico and I thought maybe we could recollect uh, remember a little bit with our friend Enrique about some of the great Cuban players uh, who played in Mexico Enrique so why don't sure. you tell us about some of the ones that uh, you remember all right, let's first uh, remember that we had, uh, beginning in 1945, two baseball leagues in Mexico, one in the summer and one in the winter. And the old and venerable Mexican League was still in the summer, but now in my home area, on the Pacific Coast, we had a winter league called La Costa del Pacifico. And they would compete each other. And uh, I used to listen in the radio to all those games. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know if these people that I was listening to were white or black or what. Until later on, I realized why they didn't get to the major leagues. They were not white. They were black. And I can tell you about a couple of names that pop up immediately. The first one is Martin Diego. Uh, we're talking about a fellow who could play all positions, who could bat, who could pitch very well. Uh, I know that he had a season in which he got an, I, an ERA of 0.90. Can you imagine that? He was quite a pitcher. And he was also, in Mexico, I'm sorry. Uh, in Mexico. In and Mexico. he had a, a lifetime battery average of 317. So, so this, this fellow could do everything. He was a wonderful player. And almost parallel to that was another fellow that I admire tremendously, Ramon Bragaña. Uh, Ramon was a, an excellent pitcher. He had a season of 30 wins in 1944, and he also bat. And the funny thing about Bragaña is that when he was not pitching, he liked to play one other position. You're not going to believe it. He liked to play catcher. <laughs> that, that, that was really amazing. I, I'm not going to believe it. I know also, and I remember clearly, two fellows that uh, became famous because of their uh, own uh, playing time but also because their children became good players. I'm talking about Santos Amaro, Cangurito, whose son Ruben played, and now Ruben Jr. is in management with the Phillies in the, in the major leagues. And the other one was Pedro Charolito Horta, whose son Jorge I met when he used to play for the White Sox in the 70s. And those two fellows also were very good. Sure. Uh, what was the last name? Uh, the first one is San Santos Amaro, Amoros. the yeah. father of Ruben Amaro, and the grandfather of Ruben Amaro Jr., who's the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Santos uh, played in Mexico from 1940 to 55, approximately. Uh, he was he was active for a long time. 
He had a, a lifetime average of over 300. And uh, Pedro Horta, the father of Jorge. Jorge Horta. Okay, okay. He, uh, Pedro used to play third base, and he was a specialist in uh, stolen bases. He had 137 stolen bases in his career. Those fellows I remember very well. And, and I know you're trying to create an uh, ideal team. So let's not forget the, the best first baseman I ever saw at the time, René González. René won three batting titles of the Mexican League. He was a huge fellow, very tall, and of course black. That's why he never made it to the to the, the major leagues. And another one that I used to admire tremendously because he played all his career in Mexico in the Pacific League. He was never in the in the in the summer league. That was Agustín Bejarano. He is also he was also a wonderful uh, base stealer. Uh, I remember a season in which he stole 33 uh, bases, and he broke the record for the season. And I want to mention, finally, although this fellow that I'm going to talk about, he did make it to the, to the Major League, only because he played for such a long time that he was able to make it finally. That was Lino Donoso. Lino was a uh, lefty. And Lino was the first pitcher a long time after, Martin Diego, to uh, win, it, I mean, to have 18 strikeouts in one game in the Mexican League. Uh, Lino was a Outstanding as a pitcher, but also he was a true Caribbean, a true fellow from Cuba. I know he was happy. Uh, he was always dancing. It was a different time because it wasn't taken so seriously as they do now. Players used to joke around, uh, play pranks on one another during the game, not just after the game. Uh, Lino was the, the specialist in this. He was always cracking up and he was always making everybody laugh. So those were my, my favorite uh, players. All of them black, all of them Cuban, all of them outstanding. Yeah. Now, this the one quick question that I have, Enrique. The, okay. the Mexican League in the summer, was it like a AAA league? Uh, did yes, did it, it uh, compete with the AAA up here? Yes, it did. Actually, both of them were AAA. At, uh, there was a time when the, the, the Pacific League, which was in the, in the winter, uh, began participating in a Caribbean championship, not unlike the one we have now. Uh, you know, the Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Mexico now participate in the Caribbean Championship. But at the time, it was not national. It was by teams. Uh, I remember very clearly that we used to hate, sorry, guys, the, the Sugar Kings. Because they always beat us. They would always win. And, and, and we used to hate them, really. They were wonderful players. <laughs> yeah, the Sugar Kings were, of course, uh, the Cuban professional team. That uh, I don't, I don't know, but I know in the late '50s they were part of the Cincinnati Reds organization. Yeah, they were. Uh, exactly. They were, yeah. they were part of the. They were like the Triple A team uh, of the Cincinnati Reds. And in 1959, my father tells me that in 1959 the the Triple A World Series was between the Minneapolis Millers and the Havana Sugar Kings, and uh -huh. the series was played in uh, well in Minneapolis and in in Cuba. And uh, there were many, many uh, players uh, who made it to the majors who were in that team. And there's lots and lots of folklore about that particular series because Castro apparently showed up at one of the games, you know, with his military guard, and it created quite a scene. But this particular – were these players, uh, Enrique, at the time when they were playing in that Mexican league, uh, were, were these players very well paid or was it a, a – were, were, did they make a lot of money by Mexican standards back then? Yeah, but by Mexican standards, no doubt. 
In fact, also probably by Cuban standards, not as the major leagues, but it was a very good uh, opportunity for them. In fact, many of them actually remain in the country. They stay forever. Uh, Orta stayed. Amaro stayed there. Uh, Lino Donoso stayed there. Uh, but many others went back to Cuba. Bejarano and Diego and uh, Bragaña, they did eventually go back to Cuba. And uh, I'm quite Enrique, I want to yeah, Enrique, this is Jose, uh, Jose Reyes. Um, yes, sir. Uh, how, many, uh, Enrique, how many games did they play in the... Uh, in, um, in the season, that was that was a, the, the the summer league was long. The summer league was eighty games, but the the, the winter league was very short. It was only it about was, thirty. So the summer league, which was on the Pacific side, right? No, the summer was uh, in the center of the country. That was Mexico City and okay. the West Coast. I mean, the East Coast. And how many Cruz, games they played? It was games? eighty games. And you had that one pitcher who won thirty games, right? Exactly. Unbelievable. No, he really was outstanding, out of this world. He, nobody else ever won 30 games in that league, only him. Uh, now, imagine him also playing catcher sometimes. He was, he was another kind of player at the time. Yeah, today they wouldn't let him do that. Of course <laughs> you not. Know, they, uh, yeah, they would the order, bumper them. Yeah. yeah, well, the owner would say, hey, I got too much invested in you. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> but imagine Martin Diego playing yeah. all the positions in the, in the field when he was capable of striking out 18 batters in one game. They would never allow him to do that today. No, not at all. Let me ask you, Enrique, about another player that I've read about, another Cuban black who played in uh, in Mexico. Uh, he has my name, Silvio, Silvio Garcia, who oh, I yeah, understand I was quite a, uh, quite a player, too. That's true, yeah. And he, he was, was very good, too. He actually played in both leagues, in the summer and the, and the winter league. Uh, the winter league, uh, the, the one in my area of the country, used to brag that they were actually the authentic uh, representatives of baseball because the legend says the first time baseball was played in Mexico, it was at the port of Guaymas, which is on the Pacific coast. And apparently the reason for the baseball uh, arrival in Mexico was following the railroad line. Whenever the railroad was coming south, wherever the railroad arrived, baseball would be played. And apparently, Waimas was the first place where they played. It's arguable, but it's possible. And that's where Silvio was. He played in Waimas several times. Enrique, let me ask you a question. Now, when you say sure. this whole black league, there were all Cubans? No, there were also other... They, they no, no, there were also Cubans. a lot of American players no, uh, that they never made it to the, to the Bayer League because they just couldn't because they were black. And funny enough, many of them got nicknames in Spanish, although their, their names were yeah. in English. Right. And for instance, there was a, play, a, a fellow by the name of Marvin Williams. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No. Marvin was a very good player, a homegrown hitter, and some for some reason, they nicknamed him La Coqueta. <laughs> now, it doesn't sound very masculine. I don't think he knew what they were saying to him. He accepted it very well. He was a wonderful player. The other thing that's interesting too is that this league—I mean, this is a Triple A league. Right. What brought them? What brought the Cubans to play in Mexico? Why didn't they just stay in Cuba and play? Well, some of them were very well paid, first of all, right. uh, and they were pampered. They were idols. They were treated as, as heroes, and they had a wonderful right. time over there. Right. That's why many of them stayed because they found that they were uh, like glass on many occasions. Yeah. Huh? And right. also some of the black players that, that came to Mexico, 
let me use this term because it, it, it applies very well. They become humanized. There was this fellow who was an American player and, and played for the team of Mazatlan, my hometown, and he noticed that the Cuban players were idolized and he noticed that they were very happy and easygoing and he began imitating them. And then people began thinking that he was also Cuban and they began speaking Spanish to him, so he had to learn Spanish to try to pass as Cuban. And he adopted his own nickname, El Grillo. And he, he, uh, he would uh, imitate the sound of the, of, of the, the cricket very well, and it was very popular. Enrique, one, one more question about Mexico. Sure. I was watching uh, that baseball series that came out uh, a few years ago. Ken Burns uh, had that series on PBS. And they were talking about some of the black American players and players like Sancho Page uh, and Josh Gibson. But they also played in Mexico, too, didn't they? Uh, yeah. did, do you yeah. recall anything about that? No, it was a little bit before my time. My father used to talk about Sancho Page as uh, kind of a phenomenon, a monster. He never saw anybody throw the ball so hard as such a pace did, but I never saw him myself. And yeah, my father. Up before my time. Yeah, my my father uh, mentioned to me that uh, he did play in Cuba. They they he, you know they, they 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 made so much money because they would play these exhibition games throughout the Caribbean. Right. But I know uh, I know that I saw some videos and some pictures of Sacho Page uh, playing in Cuba. Well, Enrique, I know your time is limited. Uh, we want to thank you very much for participating. Do you guys have any any questions for Enrique? Uh, yes, I, uh, I noticed that the, the, the Mexico has a, the Mexican Hall of Fame. And um, I see my team Diego uh, there. My team Diego is one of the best baseball, uh, one, of the, one of the best Cuban baseball players ever. Even the right. Cuban Hall of Fame also is everywhere. <laughs> well, actually, Ramon Bragaña is also in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I have, I have the names here. I'm going to mention them. Right. Um, as for, they go by years, okay? Right. You have, um, 64, you have Martin Diego, Lázaro right. Salazar, right. and Ramon Bragaña. Right. Then you have in 73, Roberto Ortiz, Agustin Bajararo. Bajararo. Right, and uh, 74, Agustin Verde, uh, 77, Santos Amaro, 79, Basilio Brujo Rosel. Rosel, mm -hmm. yeah, you remember all these guys, uh, 82, Mario Ariosa. Mario Ariosa, it took a long time to get there. He, he was the longest player, a uh, Cuban player in the Mexican League. And, and he uh, played for 20 years. Uh, four more here. We have Adolfo Luque, who was a great uh, Cuban baseball player, also in, in '85. Uh, then, of course, like you mentioned, Ruben Amaro, who right. was the son of the uh, and Lino Doloso, Amaro Maestri. Oh, uh, these umpires. These umpires. I'm sorry. Two yeah, umpires. Yeah, umpires. Right? <laughs> you even remember the umpires? Very good. Yeah, yeah. Maestri was really kind of a star at the time. And, and Lázaro Salazar became, came into the fall of famous as a manager, more than a player. And how many teams were in his league? I'm sorry? How many teams were in the league? Like well, the in, 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 the, the, in the Mexican league, the, the, the summer league, it uh, came out to 12, as, as many wow. as 12. But yeah. on the Pacific league, it was always only three from the, from the state of Sinaloa and three from the state of Sonora. 
and usually stay that way. In the state of Sinaloa, it was Atlan, Culiacán, and Los Mochis. And from the state of Sonora, it was Navajo, Obregón, and Hermosillo. Why must now and then with Garin, uh, but they were not really steady. Now the Pacific uh, League goes all the way to Baja California, as Mexicali and Tijuana, too. So it's, it's, it's been very popular. One question, Enrique. Um, sure. Uh, is baseball uh, very popular now in, in Mexico at the moment, right now? It is still, but regionally. Uh, there are states right. in which there is no competition from soccer. My state, for instance, in Aloha, Sonora, no doubt, mm -hmm. totally. Baseball is the game. Is and, but uh, soccer is everywhere. I, I have to yeah, soccer has taken off. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. So, the, so you say the West Coast still, because they have, uh, I guess, yeah. Uh, okay. Let me ask you. I mean, this is very interesting, Enrique. Very, very interesting. Enrique, let me ask you one more question. One more question, Enrique. There was another picture, too, with a Mexican connection, and I was just thinking about this as, as uh, Jose was reading some of these names. Uh, Luis Tiant, his father, oh, course, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, his father, right? His father pitched in Mexico. Oh, he he also pitched that. up here. His father oh, also. Tiant himself played, played, played in Mexico. Yes, I was going to say that. I remember. Yeah, I think you remember that Luis Tiant. I think I think he came through Mexico, and I think he played yeah. in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. He, he played over there in the in the summer league, uh, which was unusual at the time because most of the big leaguers would play in Mexico during the winter because they were out. And most of the teams in the Pacific Coast have arrangements with the leagues, with the teams in the, in the Major League. Yeah, I think Luis Tian came to Mexico. Right. Uh, you know what? Interesting. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, this is very interesting what I'm going to say to you. Uh, I was looking in the, um, there's a guy who pitched for the Yankees yesterday. His name is uh, Mitre, right? And I was looking him up, I was trying to figure where this guy came from. And... While I was looking, I see a service who's pitching for the Yankees now. I don't know if you know uh, who he is. He's a relief pitcher for the Yankees. Are you familiar with the name? I don't think so. Huh? I don't think I, I know him. I don't think so. Yeah, well, well you got to check it out. you got to check the roster of the Yankees. And I'm saying, well, where does this guy come from? And, and he's been only playing for two years with the Yankees. And I say, well, two years, this, this guy, well, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of, he looks like he's like in, in his late 20s, huh? And, you know, where he came from? He came from the Mexican League. Uh -huh. He came from the Mexican League now. He's only he's pitched with the with the Yankees for two years. He's pitched seventy eight innings and his ERA is two point five uh two point four eight. And he's six and six and one or six and two. <laughs> <laughs> and one. Sometimes the one is a really big league. You know, where, you know, where, where did they get this guy from? You know, what's going on down in the Mexican League? I mean, if he pitches another seventy if he pitches another seventy eight innings like that and keeps his ERA less than three, hey, we gotta start looking at hey,
He played yeah, with the Yankees uh, at the yeah, end of the story. Like, oh, wait, what are you talking about? Aurelio. Aurelio, we got to put Aurelio, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hi, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed it, uh, our conversation with Enrique Hubbard and uh, a couple of our baseball friends out of New York, uh, Jose and his brother. The, we used to call them the Reyes brothers when we had these uh, baseball panels. Jose and his brother are from Cuba, just like me, growing up here in the United States. But there was a time in Cuban baseball history when, of course, many of the black Cubans couldn't play in the majors. 
uh, 30s and 40s, and you know they they played in the Negro leagues here up up in the United States, like Luis Tian's father and Martin the Eagle. They played in in the American Negro leagues, but many of them went to Mexico and played in Mexico. And as Enrique was saying in the interview, they used to make a lot of money. They used to make a lot of money in Mexico, and that money that they made in Mexico. Uh, turned them into big stars. And some of them, as Enrique was saying, actually stayed in Mexico and uh, became, uh, you know, part of uh, of Mexican uh, Baseball Hall of Fame uh, history. So, well, thank you for taking the time and listening to us. As I said, uh, Sunday is the off day in the Baseball World Series. You'll get back to it on Monday night. Obviously, we like to see the Rangers win. But I got to tell you something about that D-backs uh, team. They've got a heck of a good team. They really do. And what you may be seeing with the D-backs is uh, the baseball of the future, meaning that may very well be the way we play baseball here in the future with a lot of speed, taking advantage of the fact that we don't have a shift anymore and uh, turning every ground ball into a nightmare for the, for the infielders. Uh, I, I just think that's the way baseball is going to go getting away a little bit from the power hitting there'll still be home run hitters of course but that emphasis on speed that's what you see in these amazing uh d-backs well thank you for listening i hope you had a great weekend uh, and we'll watch the game on monday night thank you this is uh, silvio ganzo in dallas